So we are continuing to preach from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And today we're going to be turning to the opening segment of Isaiah chapter 8. We'll continue with Isaiah chapter 8 next week as Reed continues where we leave off today. Today's sermon is Meher Shalal Khashvaz. Meher Shalal Khashvaz. Um, and as you all probably were saying as you were coming to church today with your loved ones, Meher Shalal Khashvaz. So that is our sermon title today. And as we prepare to turn to God's word, let me go ahead and frame this for you, this message today for you. You also can see these in the sermon notes. Number one, God's word today is going to call us to discern God's word on children and the future. God's word calls us to discern his word about children and about the future. Number two, to trust in the power of God's small shaloach and his long-term covenant promises. Not very impressive looking compared to a lot of the flash and power of the world. But instead to trust in that small spring and to drink Emmanuel's living water. That's what I'm going to be inviting you to do today because God is inviting you to do that. To trust in his small little stream, his shaloach, and in the promises that come with that and to drink from the water that leads to eternal life that comes from Emmanuel. And then third, third, it's all Emmanuel's in the end. You gotta get that message. It is all his. The land, Zion, salvation, the kingdom, they all belong to and revolve around Emmanuel. So I wanna invite you to call on him and boldly serve him. That's the message of Isaiah. You're not going to serve the Lord unless you actually trust him. The ongoing message there. So today, I want to invite you to understand it's all Emmanuel's. Everything's going to end up being Emmanuel's. So go ahead and call on his name and serve him. So one, two, three there. Uh, number one, we're called to discern God's word on children and the future. And we're going to go ahead and take in parts, uh, reading in parts, Isaiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. You can follow along. We also have this projected, I believe, as well. So God's word from Isaiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Then the Lord said to me, this is Isaiah talking, this is autobiographical. We're back to one of these autobiographical segments in Isaiah here. Then the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, said to me, take a large tablet and write on it in a man's stylus. In other words, in or an ordinary stylus that a normal person would use or in plain writing. I think the ESV has it in plain letters. Take a large tablet and write on it in a man's stylus belonging to Maher Shalal Kashpaz. Verse 2. 
I will get for myself, the Lord says, reliable witnesses. Uriah the priest and Zechariah, son of Zebekiah, to attest for me. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. And then Yahweh, the Lord, said to me, Call his name Meher Shalal Kashbaz. For before the boy knows how to call out my dada or my mama, the wealth of Damascus and the plunder or the spoil, literally Shalal of Samaria, will be carried away before the king of Assyria. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Discern God's word on children and the future. Well, that's always an important message from God, and it certainly applies to this tremendously important segment of the book of the prophet Isaiah that runs from uh, chapters 6 and 7 through chapter 12. And at the heart of that, we have a lot of children who are featured in the prophetic messages through Isaiah in Isaiah chapters 7 through 9, and then Isaiah chapter 11. Let me go ahead and lay those out for you briefly. We'll focus in on a few of them today. First of all, we have Isaiah's sons. Sha'ar Yashub, Sha'ar Yashub, and Maher Shalal Kashbaz. You'll see Sha'ar Yashub, we've already run into him in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 3, and he's going to be He's going to be named again, or the effect of his name is again in chapter 10, verse 21. And I am still flabbergasted because a number of you asked me for biblical names when, uh, when, when moms become pregnant. And I've consistently suggested Sha'ar Yashub, and as well as, it's a little bit longer, but it should be a very popular name among maroon people, you know, maroon Maher, I mean, they kind of go together. Maher, Shalal, Kashbaz. But as yet, no one in First Presbyterian has named their child uh, the longer Maher, Shalal, Kashbaz, or even the shorter, simpler Sha'ar Yashu. Unless I'm wrong on this. Did somebody some put that on? You'd probably get stopped in airports if you had a child named that pretty consistently. But in any event, so let me remind you what these names mean. They're prophetic names. Um, God commands Isaiah to name his boys these, these names. At least it's implicit with Sha'ar Yashub, and it's apparent in the Bible with uh, Maher. So um, Sha'ar Yashub means a remnant will return. This is a message that God is bringing through Isaiah. We'll come back to this message. We touched on it briefly when we were preaching from Isaiah chapter 7, but, but let me unpack that briefly for you. A, a remnant will return, or it literally could mean a remnant will repent. Shuv has to do with turning, returning, or repenting. 
turning back to God. And that would, I'd say, yeah, both and. I mean, if a remnant's going to return, they're also going to repent, right? So that's, and, and remember when God commands Isaiah, we read this in, in chapter 7, to go out uh, outside on the outskirts of Jerusalem uh, to uh, the, uh, the conduit for the water coming from Gihon, okay, down, down uh, southwest. So uh, he, he tells him, go out there, Ahaz, King Ahaz, who's not faithful, but I'm going to call him one more time to be faithful to me. You go out and you take your boy, Sha'ar Yashub, and you go out and see Ahaz and you invite him to trust in me instead of turning to the king of Assyria or being worried about, you know, this alliance between Aram, um, the capital uh, city being Damascus, and the northern tribes of Israel, whose capital is Samaria. You stop worrying about all these people, Ahaz. Well, let's just unpack that Sha'ar Yashub for a moment. If I said, we're all going through a very dangerous valley here. In fact, I'm going to take all your children through a very dangerous uh, whitewater situation, much more dangerous than Reed is, and some of them will come back alive. Would that sound good to you? I'm taking a big group of your children, and some of them will come back alive. Well, what do you immediately, what's the other side of that coin, right? Where's the rest of them? So when God says through the naming of Isaiah's son, a remnant will return. That doesn't mean everybody's going to return, right? A remnant. And a remnant sounds like kind of a small minority, right? Well, that's a running theme in Isaiah and the rest of the Bible, Old Testament, all the way through into the New Testament. A remnant will return. So that's one boy. But now we get this another boy. We get another boy. But, but even before that boy's named, we get it introduced in chapter 8, verse 1, God says to Isaiah, write on a tablet, on a large tablet, um, belonging to or concerning to um, Meher Shalal Kashbaz. And I know you all know exactly what that means, but just for the two or three of you that don't know what that means, I'm going to go with the simplest kind of punchy version that uh, our old Scott friend from a century ago or so, James Moffat, put it. Speedy spoil, pronto plunder. Speedy spoil, pronto plunder. That's what that means. Speedy spoil, pronto plunder. It means things are going down fast and stuff's going to get carried off fast and people are going to get beaten fast and flat out beaten, okay? That's what that means. Uh, so when God tells Isaiah to write this down, he then tells, uh, so he, he then tells him to go get some witnesses. But before I get off of this child thing, let me go ahead and unpack a few others for you. There's two boys that are named those names that I've just mentioned. There's another boy who's going to come from a virgin or a young maiden who is a virgin. She's going to become pregnant and give birth to a child and call his name Emmanuel. Okay? So you have a remnant will return. You have speedy spoil, pronto plunder. And then 
as the highlight in the middle of all this, you have Emmanuel, and he is in the middle. You've got Sher, Jehoshub mentioned, you have Emmanuel, 714, and then you have um, Speedy Spoil, Pronto Plunder. Emmanuel means God with us, or God is with us. Now, you have some other children or boys who are highlighted uh, in Isaiah 7 through 9, and then in Isaiah 11. And from a Christian and New Testament standpoint, we understand that Emmanuel relates to these others, that they're all actually the same. Uh, we've got a child who's going to be born to us and a son who's going to be given to us in Isaiah 9, 6. And then we have in Isaiah chapter 11, a reference to a shoot or a twig who's going to come from the stump or from the rootstock of Jesse. Jesse being the daddy of King David. All of this saying, we'll continue to unpack this. This relates totally to who we are as Christians and God's gospel to us. But the basic takeaway for today is this. The real and long-term future belongs not to the current powers and stars on the world stage. I know they get all the press. I know they get all the attention. But the current powers that be, even brutal powers, even deadly powers, and the stars of the world stage do not own the future. They will pass away, and they will pass away quickly. They will pass away quickly. The future belongs to the children of God's word and God's kingdom. And this all comes through faith in Emmanuel, the central child in all of this that God lays out with all this prophecy I just gave to you, Emmanuel, God with us, God with us. This is a message that is very hard for us to believe because whatever is big right now, whoever is powerful right now, seems to own not only this day, but all the days to come. The Ottoman Empire was a huge threat to Christendom and the entire world 600 years ago. How's the Ottoman Empire doing right now? You worried about them? No, they passed away. I mean, I can go all the way down. The Assyrian Empire is horribly horrifying in the days that Isaiah is writing. How's the Assyrian Empire doing right now? Well, I guess you could say if ISIS gets to take back over Mosul again, we could be kind of a little bit worried about that area of the world. But I mean, compared to this, no way. What about the great stars of the stage and culture? who dominated everybody's thought back in 1850. You, you thinking about them right now? Where are they? They're dead and buried, and they passed away very quickly. So in Luke chapter 10, verse 21, you know, when those whom Jesus has sent out return to him and they are manifesting the power of God's kingdom already breaking in in the world, 
Luke tells us that Jesus, and Matthew reports us also, in that same hour, he, Jesus, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. And here's what Jesus said, Luke 10, 21. I thank you, Father of heaven, Father of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding, and you have revealed them to little children. He's calling his, his apostles and disciples little children because in the view of the world, they're no more powerful than little bitty children that you'd run by as you're rushing to get to the front of the line. You've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. When the apostle Paul, in his letter, his first letter to the church at Corinth is reflecting on the wisdom of God versus the so-called present wisdom of the present world and who Christians are, they're not the big sophisticated 2021 latest theories, latest glitz, latest headlines people. He says this, for the word of the cross, this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, picking up at verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is, the cross is, the power of God, love that dies for our salvation, a God who comes and empties himself of all his divine prerogatives in heaven and comes as a little baby born as Emmanuel to save you. The word of the cross, to die on the cross for your sake, it, it's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age, 2021? Not just first century, right now. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who will believe. Do you believe? You believe the story of Jesus. Do you believe the gospel of a God who loves you that much, who calls you to a different kind of power? For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and yes, the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men's strength. That's the truth. That's the truth. Secondly, I want to invite you to trust in the power, that's right, playing off of what we just read from the scripture, in the power, the surprising power of a little bitty stream, a, a, a little bitty stream and pool running off Jihan, right, down there just below the city of David, that little small Shiloh and God's long-term covenant promises, which seem like they're taking a long time and aren't dominating the news cycle. I wanna invite you to trust in the power of God's little stream and long-term covenant promises 
and to go ahead and drink, to drink Emmanuel's living water. So Isaiah chapter eight, verses five through eight. Isaiah eight, five through eight. And Yahweh and the Lord spoke to me again. Again, autobiographical here. This is one of these autobiographical reports, just like we got uh, with Isaiah chapter six. The Lord spoke to me again, again, because this people have rejected the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and rejoice over Rezan and the son of Ramalia, that is Pekah, the, the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. So in other words, they're rejoicing over um, the Damascus king and their coalition with him and the king of the northern tribes in Samaria. Now, therefore, behold. God says, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river. The river. This means the Euphrates. You scorn my little stream that I wanted to give you? Okay, you're going to get a river. You want power? Okay, fine. Here it comes. The waters of the river, mighty and many. The king of Assyria and all his glory. In other words, all his evil might is coming. And he will rise over all his channels and go over all his banks. He's coming on hard. And he will sweep through Judah. And he will overflow and come on, reaching even to the neck. And his outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land. Oh, Emmanuel. Several things here. This is a rich passage, but we are, uh, this, this language of this people echoes back to, you know, that other autobiographical passage I was talking about, Isaiah chapter 6, and we spent a number of Sundays on this at the beginning of the year, Isaiah 6. Remember the prophecy of Isaiah 6, 9 and following. God is sending Isaiah to preach and he's saying they're not going to listen. You go on and preach. You tell them what I have to say. But this people will not listen to you because they don't listen to me, God says. So it's the same language, this people, this people. Isaiah 6, 9. Go and say to this people, Isaiah 6.10, make the heart of this people fat, fat. They're self-satisfied, so they're not looking for God. Their hearts are fat. This is, to be clear here, because this is really important, first of all, this is judgment on the northern kingdom of Israel. Yes, Isaiah is principally and centrally preaching to and prophesying to the southern kingdom of Judah and dealing directly with the house of David in Jerusalem. Yes, but this prophecy, as other prophecies, deal with the northern kingdom of Israel too. And it's clear that God is talking about the northern kingdom because they're sold out on their alliance with Damascus and Aram and Rezin. So God is saying, okay, northern tribes, you trust in your little military alliance to try to fight off Assyria with the king of Aram? Great. You rejoice over him. How long is he going to last? And by the way, how long did he last? 
we're talking 735, 734, 732, he's dead and gone. Damascus has fallen to Assyria. And Israel's already falling and will fall over the next decade. This is judgment on the northern tribes of Israel, but it's also judgment on Judah and Jerusalem and the house of David. We talked a lot about that the last couple Sundays. The tree of David is going to be cut down, down to a stump. The stump, the rootstock of Jesse is all that's going to be left. Judgment on Judah and the house of David. We had the judgment on Israel and the northern kingdom in the first verses I just read. Now to eight. What happens? You want water? You're scorning my little stream of faith that I want to give you? You want worldly power? Okay, you're going to get a flood coming from Assyria. And it doesn't just come to Damascus and to the northern tribes. It's going to come down into Judah too, right? It's coming down to Judah too. And he, that is Assyria, the king of Assyria, first Tiglath, Pileser the third, okay? And then later, Sargon the second, who... Sargon II is the one who eventually takes out Samaria itself, right? 722, okay? And then all the way down through the late 700s, all the way through the late 700s with Sennacherib. And what does Sennacherib do? He takes out over 40 cities of the Jews in Judah, including Lachish, the second largest city. You ever been to Israel? You ever been to Lachish? All you got to do is actually go over to the Cobb Institute over at Mississippi State, and you'll see that large depiction of them decapitating and polling the people of Lachish. And that's, that's what's on the wall there. You go down, you all ever been to the museum at Cobb? That's what's on the wall there. That's Sennacherib taking out the second largest city of Judah. And then he goes for Jerusalem. We'll get to this later, only through the miracle of God, God save for another season, Jerusalem. But everything else from Judah comes out. And so what is God saying in advance? Up to the neck, only Jerusalem will survive. But only briefly. Because what is actually the head of God's people? Is it physical Jerusalem? No, it's Emmanuel. So God is bringing this flood of judgment on his people who the north and the south are turning to human beings instead of to him. And soon the law of human unintended consequences is going to flood Judah. See, you have to understand the first verses that I read, God... God's message seems like good news to Judah. Great. <laughs> Bring on Assyria. This is awesome. This is awesome. Speedy, spoil, pronto plunder. Take out Damascus. Take out our big bullies to the north. Take them out. Bring it on, God. And, 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 and to, to, tell, to tell the royal court that this is coming from God in advance, God brings witnesses to what Isaiah is writing down. And it's, it's Ahaz's 
court priest, Uriah, the same guy, if you read in the Old Testament, who goes up to Damascus and builds a pagan-like altar to match the one at Damascus and puts the one that's ordained in the Old Testament over to the side. I mean, seriously, Ahaz says, I'm going to put this over to the side. I'll occasionally pray over there. But you bring in the fancy altar, like the one that the pagans have in Damascus. That's Uriah. That's the priest who's one of the witnesses. And the other witness um, is uh, the father-in-law of Ahaz, grandfather of Hezekiah. So this is, these are people who are bought into the royal court. And God says in advance, let me tell you what I'm, I'm, I'm telling you in advance what's going to happen. Everything's going down, but not just for the north, for the south too. Before this boy who's born can say mama and daddy, in other words, within the next two years, they all go, but then it's coming for you too. That if you piece this, these first verses of eight together, that is what God is saying through this. And, and why? Because this people, both the north and yeah, the south too, have rejected, have rejected my word. That's the same term that's used if you go back in 1 Samuel, when the people reject God as their king and want their own human king. Same term. And God says to Samuel, they haven't rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me. It's the same term that Samuel turns around and says to the people, you have rejected God as your king. You're choosing people as your savior instead of God. And then guess what? In 1 Samuel, when God brings judgment on Saul, it's the same term. Because you have despised, you have rejected me. I have rejected you, God says. And Saul is cut off, and the Spirit of the Lord is taken away from him. It is a deadly thing spiritually to reject God and to turn to other people. And the law of un unintended consequences, you all know about that on a secular level, right? The way it works in the Bible is this. Anyone or anything to whom you turn away from God to as your Savior, you turn away from God to anyone or anything as your Savior, as your life, that thing or that person will eventually destroy you. That's the way it works. Ahaz turned to Assyria to deliver him from the alliance of Syria or Aram and the northern kingdom. Guess what's going to end up taking Judah out? Almost to the brink. Not quite because God gives a respite for Emmanuel. Something's going on there. But otherwise, it is unintended consequences bringing to bear. If you turn to anyone or anything else as your God instead of God himself, that thing, that love, that power will eventually eat you alive. That is the message of the Bible. So God calls us to trust in his power. It's a little stream, I know. Shiloh and his long-term covenant promises, but he's taken a long time, I know but drink his water. Psalm 46, four and five. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the most high dwells. Yeah, but the Jihan, Shiloh, little bitty stream compared to the Mississippi or the Nile or the Euphrates. 
Yeah, God says, I know it's little. I know it's like a mustard seed. And I know it seems slow, but I want you to love me and trust in me. The holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. When the morning dawns, he wins. Okay? He's risen. Jesus said to the woman at the well at Samaria, at Sychar, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Don't drink the water or the wine or the whatever of this world. Drink what he can give you. And then third, it's all Emmanuel's in the end. The kingdom, Zion, salvation, call on him. Boldly serve him now. Teach your children to trust in him and boldly serve him now. Don't go out of this life quiet. People need to know you're a Christian, right? Make a difference. Let's make a difference as a church. So God goes on and says this. The word says this, Isaiah 8, 9 and 10. It's a taunt. Reed preached about taunting earlier in the series. This is a taunt. Be evil. Do your best to be bad. You know, we have that term bad. That's what the, 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 the raw here is like bad. Be evil, you peoples. Be shattered. In other words, do your best. You're going to get torn up. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Hear what God is saying? Strap it on. Come on, bring on the fight. Do your best. You're going to get shattered. This is what happens to Assyria. They only last, you know, a few more decades. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel for a plan, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, it will not stand. Why? Same thing we saw at the end of verse 8. Because Emmanuel. God's doing everything for Emmanuel. All of history revolves around Emmanuel. Do you get the message yet? <laughs> it's all about him. It's all Emmanuel's in the end. The kingdom, Zion, salvation. Call on him. Boldly serve him now. Just a little preview for next, next week, next Sunday. Isaiah 8, 13. But the Lord of hosts, in other words, of heaven's troops, of heaven's armies, the angelic host, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And then Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust. There's that line, right? In God, I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Human beings cannot do a thing to you. Eternally, they don't matter. So back to what we saw heading into this passage from Isaiah 7. Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart be faint. And if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. He knows the future right now, and he's calling you to know and trust in his future through Emmanuel. Come to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.